0: Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Academia Podcast. I'm Sean O'Laughlin.
1: I'm Justin Grant.
0: And today we are sitting down with Brian Ehlers, who is a market development representative here at GSA. He's brand new. We got him He's like six weeks in, but he comes from a pretty cool background in a lot of different aspects of seafood and marine science, and particularly in the traceability space and we always get a lot of good responses from our traceability related episodes. people seem to learn a lot and they seem to be really interested in that. so it was great we were able to get a quick conversation with Brian this morning all about traceability and what we really did was we kind of dug into really what it means when we talk about traceability some of the complexities. I know we've had episodes on this before, but this is a little bit more kind of down and dirty in uh, defining traceability and talking about some of the updates in some of the regulatory processes and things that are coming along with it and some of the hardships as people try to adapt these different changes. So it's a really cool conversation. I think you're going to enjoy it. Brian has a lot of cool insight. He's a really nice guy. And I I would encourage anyone who's interested in this and wants to learn more to reach out to us or to him um, so you can get connected with him and, and kind of start a dialogue directly with him. So, before we get into it, I want to remind everybody to please make sure that you're subscribed to Aquademia because that way every time we come out with a new episode either on Wednesdays or Fridays for our biweekly Advocate session. They will automatically be downloaded to your tablet, your phone, whatever you choose to listen on. So you don't need to go looking for it. Follow us
1: on Twitter at AquademiaPod. If you want to contact the podcast for any reason, topic suggestions, you want to be a guest, uh, you can fill out our online form located at globalseafood.org/slash/podcast.
0: Leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. It really helps us out, and we appreciate everybody that has already done that. Enjoy this conversation that we have with Brian, and we will talk to you at the end. All right. So we're sitting down today with Brian Ayler's, who is a market development uh, representative here at GSA. And we brought him on because he has some really interesting insight into a topic that is super popular with our listeners. Um, we've done multiple episodes on seafood traceability. And uh, they always do really well. I think people are really interested in how seafood traceability works. Maybe they don't fully understand it, what it means. And they always kind of get a lot of downloads. And I think people like hearing these conversations about it and uh, and learning more about that world. So Brian came on to talk about his experiences. He literally wrote a paper on seafood traceability. Uh, He's going to talk a little bit about that. But first, Brian, let's learn about you. You know, you're fairly new to GSA, so, so people might not uh, know your name if they're in our sphere as well. So uh, why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners and let us know who you are and how you got here.
2: Sure. Thanks, Sean. Um, yeah, great to be on the podcast. So I am yeah just about six weeks into my stint here. With, uh, yeah, we caught GSA. you early.
0: We roped you in really fast.
2: Yeah, right away. Um, It's really exciting. And I actually, I have listened to this podcast in the past. I'm a big fan. Um, And I think it's great for the broader community, business community, NGO community. Um, But uh, yeah, so a little bit about my my background. I last seven or eight years, I've been involved in seafood. Um, And before that, I was in education, actually, uh, like you, Justin. Mm
0: -hmm. You sound just like us. (laughs) Yeah.
2: (laughs) So yeah, you're in good company there. Um but yeah, I I back in uh back in 2013-14, uh, I've always been really interested in the ability for consumers and businesses to vote with their dollar. Um obviously we there's a lot that can be done by driving change and sustainability with those two mechanisms, right? And so um Looking through that lens, I started poking around and I said, who's, who's, you know, what, what kind of interesting topics are, are in that space? And I came across seafood traceability as a, as a term in the literature uh, at the time. And at the time I was, I was uh, teaching marine science and looking to go back to graduate school. So I ended up at Oregon State University. I found a couple uh, scientists there that had been working on seafood traceability for quite some time in particular. Uh, Gil Sylvia, who is now professor emeritus at OSU, but he's um, he had published a paper back in 2004, I believe it was, which was the first paper that used the term seafood traceability, uh, at least at least to my knowledge, um, and um, had done a lot of work since then. Um, So so that's how I got into seafood traceability, and actually um, I had done some work with different uh, businesses and done some some management consulting in, uh, in the conservation and resource management space before that. But uh, that's where I s- started my career more formally in seafood. And since then, I've been involved um, in, uh, as I mentioned, the seafood traceability research that I did at OSU. And on top of that, I worked uh, for a certification body, SCS Global Services, where I was a, a lead MSC assessor. And also did chain of custody audits and also did a lot of, you know, operations and, and business development for, for SES. Um, and also after that time, I most recently worked at Fish Choice. Shout out to my friends at Fish Choice and Fishery Progress. I most recently was working in the FIP space, uh, Fisher Improvement Projects, promoting their platforms that make, provide tools And resources to seafood businesses to make their, you know, to help with their decisions that they're making around sustainability. So, in a nutshell, I've been working in, I would say, kind of the seafood assurance space, whether it's pre certification or certifying fisheries and processes and things myself, chain of custody. Uh, All that be said, though, most of it's wild capture background. Um, I think my graduate work, not a lot of, you know, deep background in op culture, so just why I'm so stoked to be a part of GSA because I'm, you know, selfishly excited to kind of learn more. I'm a lifelong learner, so.
0: Well, it's great for us too because we are looking to bring as much knowledge on the wild capture side of things too, mm-hmm. right? And build build out that that aspect of our business too, so what a perfect marriage. Um, <laughs> all right, so we, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. First of all, thank you for starting your day off with us. It's nice and early here. <laughs> I know we're all kind of just rolled out of bed and and turned on the microphones, but um, we wanted to start off this topic by kind of looking at a more hard and fast definition of what traceability is and more importantly, what it isn't, right? So we've had people on to talk about traceability and we've talked about blockchain and kind of all these different aspects of it, but we've never really sat down and been like, well, what does, what do we actually mean when we talk about traceability? So Brian, you had such a, a great way to kind of describe that. So can you kind of walk us through what do we mean? With, when we say the word traceability?
2: Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, keep in mind, there's a lot of different definitions of traceability. But the way I, the way I um, just to kind of set the stage on that, in my mind, um, when I think about traceability, it's, it's really the ability to um, collect information, uh, store information, and then share that information. Um, and from one business to another, uh, within your own business, so internal traceability, external traceability um and ultimately you know share that information down the supply chain perhaps even into a consumer perhaps not um but it's, so it's it's like following
0: the footprints of a specific product right basically
2: yeah yeah i like that actually and so uh a lot of people because traceability is kind of such a, a nebulous term uh, a lot of people talk about traceability and it, from what i've observed and Equate traceability to some form of sustainability or equate traceability to um, something that may replace certifications or assurance programs or third-party verification. Uh, And the the interesting thing that I think about is, well, bad data in is bad data out, right? And everyone, we've all been on the the playground or perhaps in the classroom when you were a kid and you play a game of telephone. And you can have the most robust, you know, group of, 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 uh, participants in a game of telephone, but all it takes is, um, uh, one bad input, uh, either whether, uh, nefarious I was say, or, whether not, one on purpose or not, <laughs> and honestly, a lot of it is from, in my experience and what I one of my take, biggest things I took away from doing my credit research at Oregon state was that, um, it's, it's obviously not nefarious, generally. It's obviously um, a, a, com- a really complex uh, supply chain with over over uh, 1,600 species. It's highly perishable. There's a lot of unique um, elements to seafood supply chains that you just don't see uh, necessarily in, in other supply chains, um, whether in, in other food systems in particular. So it presents a lot of challenges. A lot of steps where information would be collected and shared uh, from one business to another. And so, like a game of telephone, it's, you know, what you hear at the end of it um, may or may not be accurate. So, obviously, as we all know, there's been a lot of work uh, on the regulatory side uh, with our federal government here in our agencies in the United States, but also in Europe and in Japan to um, create some or increased, uh Harmonization or standardization around what we're requiring of seafood businesses on the traceability front from a, from a regulatory perspective.
0: All right, awesome. Thank you for that definition. But um, I want to talk about your project because you said you lived in this world, the world of seafood traceability. You're pretty like knee deep in it for a few years there uh, doing your research. Can you tell us about the project that you did and the paper and everything? And then we can kind of see what has changed since then because you said you've been keeping tabs on things too. So,
2: yeah, that, that sounds great. Uh, I, um, while I was at Oregon State University, I, um, we were able to get some funding through uh, NIFA um, and, and through the USDA and, um, and some funding from Oregon State University as well. And with that funding, we were able to do uh, a really interesting study, which is a value chain approach, looking at businesses from harvest uh, to point of sale. Um, and the, originally was the Pacific Northwest and we expanded that to Alaska and California and, and a couple of businesses in Hawaii too. Don't want to leave out Hawaii. Um, and so we, there were uh, a couple of steps to it, but we did interviews. We did a couple of focus groups, um, with some representation from, again, those different points in the supply chain. But we, so we even got chefs involved. We got fishermen involved. Um, and. um uh, plant, plant managers at, at processing plants. Um, ultimately, this all informed a survey. And I targeted 1,000 seafood businesses. And we came away with a survey that uh, I think in the end had 220 responses. So it gave us a lot of data to work with in terms of um, getting and understanding the perceptions and attitudes of seafood businesses and how seafood traceability could be used as a tool to address, you know, potential challenges that they're dealing with, um, like IUU uh, or forced labor, um, and other topics that are really on on everyone's minds at the time. This was back in 2015, 16, 17. Um, so, um, as part of that too, though, we we're also looking at you know what opportunities are presented with traceability. Uh, big focus, particularly being. Uh, USDA fund, a big focus of ours was looking at uh, seafood safety. Um, we had one of my committee members, Christina DeWitt, was, is a seafood scientist at Oregon State University. I brought a lot to the the plate too in terms of really what is the biggest and always has been one of the biggest drivers of traceability. That name Go- sounds
0: familiar. Justin, have we spoken with her? Christina DeWitt. I may be connected with her on, Facebook, on LinkedIn yeah, or something. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> the name is ringing a bell. Sorry to interrupt.
2: <laughs> yeah. And then, and I mentioned Gil Sylvia and the other committee member I had was, uh, Dr. Michael Hart, um, and, and who's, um, who's, uh, a social scientist, uh, like, like, uh, Gil Sylvia as well. Um, so this brought a lot of interesting insights into what are some of the, the, the challenges that these businesses are facing? What are the, some of the opportunities, um, and, um, well the biggest thing that we were interested in was yes uh Seafood Import Monitoring Program SIMP was about to be rolled out at the time um and has since then we could talk about maybe some updates since since that came out in uh January of um of 2017 I believe it was January 1st don't quote me on that <laughs> um, so there's this big regulatory effort rolling out and all the businesses where uh, our biggest Focus at the time was really understanding to what extent are these businesses um, really prepared and aware and have the resources and the knowledge to be able to comply with these new regulations. Another thing, though, was okay, so sure, there's regulatory requirements, but how can businesses actually work more collaboratively and share information in a way that creates value down the supply chain? Mm-hmm. So, let, trying to um, ourselves kind of reframe it and present questions that. Would get at uh, the extent to which businesses might might be willing participants in this this phenomenon. That you know, ninety two percent of our respondents either uh, strongly agreed or agreed that traceability is here to stay. In other words, this isn't this isn't just some thing that's going to come and go. It's just going to keep coming, and it's going to be there's going to be more regulatory requirements, but there's also going to be more opportunity for businesses to uh, make improvements and upgrades. And obviously on the technology front, um, it's going to be a, a big part of it.
0: From what you, you know, you've, you, you surveyed, you know, over 200 companies, is there like, like a reluctancy to share the information? Or are they like, willing to share their, you know, the their footprints? Really? You know, is that something like, I know that there are companies out there that just don't like to share certain information. And is, the, is that an issue in traceability as well that you've seen?
2: yeah and, and why I do think, you think
0: that is? because like, <laughs> why would that be a problem? You know it's besides hiding shady dealings or something.
2: <laughs> right. and it's yeah, and so I think the interesting thing is historically, well, I'll also answered this way. The seafood business is a really tricky business to work in because because you're dealing with perishable product, it you know it it degrades much faster, and there's a lot of challenges with um, maintaining shelf life. Mm-hmm. And it's it's so much
0: more complex with the the diversity of different products and stuff compared to... Yeah, and you you have to remember,
2: like, chicken is chicken for the most part, right? Um, Other animal-based proteins or other products, even blueberries. And taking about blueberries, we did a lot of work looking at other types of sectors and things with our research. Blueberries, spinach, there's a lot of other perishable products out there that create a lot of challenges. And and the industry has had to go through, like, big traceability um, innovations, I'd I'd say. um but with seafood this, the fda has over um i believe over 1600 species on its on its official species list this is just you know just in the us mm-hmm. we import 90% of the seafood that we consume in the us so it's a pretty good example of what maybe country other big large importers uh, deal with too but because of that complexity uh you know a, a yellowfin tuna um is going to be totally different from uh chinook salmon versus Uh, you know, American lobster here in the Gulf of Maine in terms of, uh, well, lobsters are typically sold, uh, often sold live, but sometimes not. But every species presents a totally different uh, set of expertise and knowledge that's been built for 100 years in many cases Mm -hmm. on how to deal with it and how to process it um, and how to share, collect, store, and share the information associated with any, any batch of product, any lot, number that's going through the supply chain from one business to the next. So, um, food safety has always been big concern of theirs, big concern of our government too. And is, you know, it's, it's a shared responsibility. Um, and we have the food safety modernization act, um, uh, here in, in the U S um, and there, they have a new uh, traceability rule section 204, I believe it is that is being updated at the moment that's going to require, um, a number of new requirements that they, you know, they call key data elements, KDES, and, and there's also going to be a new requirements, I believe, around critical tracking events too, CTEs, which are those those snapshots where you're you're capturing whatever the footprint is, um, as you said, Sean, of the of the product as it's moving along. But but there's going to be some new rules with that. Um, for example, if you create a lot number, your know, products landed. Um, and you create a lot number associated with a pallet of, let's say, um, let's say a, a pallet of, of Hake. Okay. Um, that's been processed and, and boxed, you know, you, you create a lot number and you send it off to, um, be distributed and go to the next business, um, after it's been processed, let's say. And when it gets to that next business, from what I understand with, and I'm not an expert on the Food Safety Modernization Act by any stretch of the imagination. Well, you seem to know it better than we do, so... <laughs> yeah we'll start there <laughs> you just keep whipping out the
0: acronyms and the numbers and we'll yeah. not our heads <laughs>
2: um, and so and uh so what I understand is it goes to the next business you're not allowed to change the lot number uh under this this new uh rule that will be effective next january uh twenty twenty four i believe um, so so I mentioned that because there's there's some regulatory the regulatory landscapes changing a lot. And that may be great for generating uh, traceability outcomes, but it's it's going to be a it's going to be very difficult for businesses to um, to comply. I would suspect in many cases because it just is doing making some fundamental changes to uh, how they do business across the board, not just mm-hmm. with you know logistics, but also with sustainability and how that information is collected and shared on social issues on uh, new emerging issues like carbon footprint, um, and all these things that they are, there's a big push and rightfully so to create, um, certain outcomes. But for these, for these seafood businesses, um, and getting back to your, your question, Sean, is they, they've, there's, um, the, the groundwork for traceability, uh, that was laid out, um, initially with, um, the Bioterrorism and Safety Act of 2002 was really the first major legislation, I believe, that called out traceability and said you have to uh, trace- have traceability in the supply chain. And what we call in the US and in Australia and in Europe, one up, one down. So at any point, like on the books, you have to be able to show, to tr- trace in real time and also track, well, historically track. Um, moving along, and if anybody requests an audit uh, to be able to demonstrate where your product came from and where it's and, and where it went, and all the information associated with that uh, to to support you know primarily food safety, and and that's always been I think because of that is being like a, a regulatory requirement. Uh, anytime you're being implicated in uh, you know some sort of non-compliance in seafood safety or participating in trace back exercises, you know, uh, people, people get really, uh, businesses get really protective of the information because it's always been kind of this, well, subordination to whatever the the rules are. And in many cases, it means throwing out thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars in product that may be totally fine, but just because of,
0: because they don't um, have those footprints.
2: Exactly. They have to go, Oh, geez, I have the next, the last three days of product, we just have to get rid of it. Because the risk of just one box being
0: mm-hmm. right you know
2: implicated in in the press or um, as part of this some sort of exercise that's happening through with um with the fda it's it's really scary stuff and, wouldn't that
0: and be it, wouldn't that be incentive enough though to like actively try and incorporate this as much as possible?
2: Yes, and i think i think for for most businesses, I think that they they they're definitely willing participants. It's just it's for for smaller medium sized businesses. Just hard can, to do. Yeah, it can it can sink you, right? It can really be uh, uh, quite a burden financially. And um, so, yeah, now there's been a lot of progress, and it's shifting um, beyond just food safety uh, with seafood import monitoring program with SEMP. Um, that there's been some fundamental shifts where the federal government is saying, okay, it's not just seafood safety now. Uh, we are taking on certain assurances for imported product around around sustainability, um, around uh, the key data elements that our government has, has specified is, is required now to be collected at the, at the importer level. So they are very. I think I think they're really cautious about sharing information. There's a lot of information like time and temperature data. Um, there's information around traditionally where you're where uh particularly for fishermen like where stuff is being caught Mm -hmm. i mean there's just so many examples where like that's proprietary information and always has been
0: yeah get that has
2: been kind of carried out in in that way and so all Mm -hmm. of a sudden they're having to show cards that they've never been asked to really hold from a regulatory perspective Mm -hmm. but but that's the interesting thing is in other sectors um take take the banking industry, for example, I can go to a bank here in Maine, uh, and pull withdraw money through an ATM from, let's say I had a bank in Switzerland or Sweden, the, the financial, uh, sectors a long time ago, figured out what we call interoperability, which is one, one business can share certain sets of information in a secure manner with another business in the supply chain. Um, with With being able to really protect everything else that they want to protect and consider sensitive or proprietary mm. um, so interoperability is um th- that's where we're at now is is really getting businesses to share information um, in a way that fosters mutual benefit yeah from for regulatory compliance but also mutual benefit for commerce you know and shared revenue and and shared market access and things like that that businesses really need.
0: Yeah. And that's hard in such a old industry. You know, this is this is interesting to me because you you said that you have less experience with aquaculture in this in this realm and more with wild caught fisheries, which is great because that's where my questions come in because with aquaculture logistically it's a lot easier to maintain traceability and to to identify those footprints right you I mean in some cases if you have like a ras system yeah, you can like literally say like okay this fish this one fish was in this tank after moving from that tank after coming from this tank at that nursery for this long and in this test tube in a you know in a in an egg and so like you can trace it back not easily but logistically it's a lot more it, it makes more sense for, for aquaculture how is this being handled in the wild caught sector because there's so many more factors uh it's an old industry that is that has um you know older traditions and and processes for everything uh that has worked for so long and so making these big changes is kind of difficult and how ha- how are people trying to kind of wrangle this new system in such a a you know that such a diverse side of the industry
2: yeah i think i think i mentioned earlier like bad data and means bad data out and what i meant by that is because we import um you know 90% of the, approximately it might be 91 now i can't remember, but somewhere in there because we import 90% of the, the seafood that we consume in the us and this is for anyone that has a a large trade deficit like that in seafood it's common it's, you see the same thing in most European countries. And um, I know Japan imports a lot as well. China's starting to import more as their middle class grows. Um, and you see this, it's funny, you see this whole, this whole trend of fishing communities selling their premium stuff and then eating their low, low value stuff because it's more economical that way mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Yeah. But because we have, because we're importing so much from around the world and a lot of it in, in developing countries, there's still a long way to go, um, on, on the, the data input, not necessarily bad data in or good data in, but like having, uh
0: some data in electronic fisheries <laughs> monitoring,
2: there's just a, a lot of legwork to do there. And there's also a lot of, uh, legwork to do on, on observers, like human observers. Um, but also you mentioned AI earlier, um, for certain, for certain gear types, like long line and others, you know, electronic monitoring is going to be huge. Yeah. Um, for persane and trawl, I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever seen uh, somebody pull up persane or, or uh, catch from a trawl onto the boat, but it's, it's not something you can just have a couple of cameras on board and, right. and uh, be able to really get an understanding of the catch and, you know yeah. and the catch that's being marketed, catch that's being you know by catch. Um but I would say overall, there's been an enormous amount of progress. In in many countries around the world, in the U.S. in terms of like having traceability architecture and systems in place, the, uh, the again I mentioned the uh, Food Safety Modernization Act, Section two hundred four. You're not going to be able to, from my understand, not in the U.S. anyway, from interstate commerce, which is what FDA FDA handles, and under Food Safety Modernization Act, your paper trail is, is probably going to be a thing of the past. Having paper documentation. Which is interesting because what I found in my research is you ve- you might be able to perfectly conduct robust traceability for certain businesses uh with with paper documentation
0: mm-hmm.
2: um and for tracebacks and and not have any issues but in order for to get businesses working together um needs to be digital. And it, it's it's it seems to be moving that way and, and you know there's going to be some winners and losers with that anytime you roll out new laws and policies but mm-hmm. there are exemptions i know like fda's off, uh, put out exemptions, and for seafood import monitoring program too. For like, I can't remember the size of the businesses by, by, uh, you know, by the revenue, annual revenue. But if you're a really small mom and pop, I, I, there's certain exemptions so that they either don't have to comply right away, or they have a different set of requirements. Which yeah, is, I think, yeah. a really important thing is to this whole effort is it's easy for us to all, you know, want progress, or or even to. Um, have some aspirations on where traceability should go but
0: yeah but making it happen is a whole other beast right
2: <laughs> yeah and in the fishing industry i mean i i did a an MSC uh fisheries assessment the first uh, MSC certified fishery in the philippines and um these are small handline boats typically 6 to 8 uh uh fishers um going out and conduct uh, fishing for all kinds of things, but primarily yellowfin tuna. That's what got M- MSC certified in this fishery. Um, they the the cost benefit analysis on putting electronic monitoring on a, on a small artisanal fishery um, is obviously doesn't necessarily pan out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where the rubber meets the road on traceability for aquaculture as well. I think last I heard, 70 percent of global aquaculture production are, are small small farms small holders problem. Yep. Um, so it's easy it's we can we can push to get larger firms that have the financial capacity the legal capacity the resources to be like okay well but in the next year you know we'll roll out some new infrastructure that can meet meet the mark but um, there's enormous challenges ahead and a lot of it just comes down to working with developing countries and their governments to um Harmonize and have capacity to deliver on on SIMP, on Food Safety Modernization Act, and it's a hard sell to go. It's one of those things. It's it's kind of like us going to to India and saying, "Hey, climate change is happening. You guys should have solar, more solar panels." And they're like, "Well, we have a lot of coal here, and it's really cheap. So, yeah. who are you to come in here right. and tell yeah. us what to do?" Right.
0: That's a good analogy. So it's, yeah. it's it's a,
2: it's one of those things that we're up against. I think we, as in like the broader seafood community industry. Um, and you need to tread carefully. But I think that there's, there's been a lot of great progress and a lot of great demonstrations of traceability. And even many companies have been fully utilizing it and made investments a long time ago. Um,
1: and we're going to see over time, I'm sure, like everything. You know, flat screen TVs came out and they were like $10,000. And then before you knew it, more people needed to be. Yeah, things that's the technology way more accessible. that came. Yeah, right. So whatever the newer technologies, programs that are going to help meet these laws and regulations that are going to continue to come out, then we're going to uh, hopefully see things become more affordable, more people being able to afford these these traceability technologies. But we are running really low on time, and we know that you have another meeting to get to in roughly five minutes. So what we're going to do is ask you, Brian, if you have anything else that you want to get out. You have two minutes to do so if you do. And then uh, we're going to ask how people can get in touch with you. But we'll start with, is there anything else that you didn't cover um, in these 30 minutes that you want to go over?
2: Well, I was hoping to read my, my thesis. It's only, you know, um, 120 pages. <laughs> I thought it would just line for line. Just kind of yeah. just crush through that. But yeah, that's, no,
0: that, that's uh, for the three, two, exclusive one, go. paid members of, you know, <laughs> so paid subscribers can get that find us on oh my gosh. patreon or something uh, no, i, I
2: re- <laughs> yeah i appreciate the opportunity to to chat about this and i think um there's a lot of just a lot of there's a lot of progress to be made and um if you think about uh fishery improvement projects you think about uh efforts in developing countries the the and, and i think consumers are are really interested in this from the consumer perspective which i always put my consumer hat on Mm -hmm. is being able to tell the story Mm -hmm. sells fish, right? And I know companies, two companies are really interested in that. Um, So that's one thing about traceability. It it gives them the ability to have transparency to the consumers um, and be able to tell the story in a way that's really meaningful, certification or not. Um, So I think that that's, it's going to be really important. Uh, That's an important incentive that will kind of drive this along as well.
1: Well, with that... I know we I'm sure Sean you have more questions I do as well but if any of our guests also have more questions how could they contact you Brian do you have an email address
0: you'd be willing to share or you can a just website? come through us too people can contact yeah. us podcast at org, and we can connect you with Brian cuz he's right in the office yeah. with us Yeah we can walk over and, and by all means ask him
2: Yes please do anyone who has any questions um feel free to to uh, reach out to to me and to you guys um You'll be more than happy to answer questions. I'm always, I'm always interested to learn too. So if other resources to share with me or, or something that you heard that was like, ah, that's not entirely accurate anymore. It's an evolving space. So it's mm-hmm. important. It's a whole lexicon that goes with it. Yeah. So I appreciate the opportunity to chat. You guys does. No, great we... to see you guys on this lovely Tuesday morning.
0: Yeah. We appreciate <laughs> you coming on with us bright and early yeah. tuning in from home. Uh, but uh, we're going to let you go and enjoy your next meeting. And we will See you tomorrow. We'll see you in the office tomorrow. <laughs> 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 Sounds good. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, Brian. Folks, that was our conversation with Brian Ayler's. I hope you enjoyed it and I hope you learned something. And I did get a message from him. Uh, just want to do a quick correction. He mentioned the uh, Food Safety Modernization Act, Section 204, uh, going into effect in 2024. But he wants to correct that. Uh, that Section 204 is going to go into effect on January 6th, 2025. So another year out from what he said. So I just want to make sure that that correction is clear and make sure that nobody is confused with that. If you have more questions about that kind of stuff, please reach out to us. We'll connect you with Brian and you can ask him directly. Remember to subscribe to Aquademia wherever you listen, so every time a new episode comes out, it'll automatically be downloaded to your device.
1: And follow us on Twitter at AquademiaPod. If you want to contact the podcast for any reason, we do have an online forum located at globalseafood.org slash podcast.
0: Leave us a rating and review wherever you listen. It really helps us out and we appreciate everybody that's already done that. And remember, if you like what we do and you want to be more involved in some of the work that we do at GSA, you may want to consider becoming a member. All of the information about our membership program can be found at globalseafood.org slash membership. Thank you so much for listening and we will talk to you next week. Ciao. Bye.